to Contain This. I'm Madeline Short and this is Australia's Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security podcast series. I'm John Reedus. I'm Director of the Special Programme for Research and Training in Tropical Diseases, which people know as TDR. I'm Mark Sullivan. I'm the Managing Director and Founder of Medicines Development for Global Health, a company I founded in 2005. And it's a uh, unique model in that it's a a not-for-profit biopharmaceutical company. In June 2018, the United States FDA approved moxidectin for the treatment of onchocerciasis, which is commonly called river blindness. River blindness is a disease that is spread by a black fly that lives and breeds in fast-flowing rivers in Africa. The fly will spread this disease when it bites a human and the larva of the worm is transmitted through the bite. Then, the larva, the baby worm, grows inside the human and eventually spreads its own larvae throughout the body, causing the infected person extreme discomfort. The disease can also cause permanent blindness. What makes this drug and newly obtained approval so remarkable is that it is the first new drug for river blindness in nearly 30 years. Up until now, moxidectin was used only to treat worm diseases in animals. So, it really was just waiting for someone to take it on and push it through to human trials and into development. So how did this drug, that will now change many lives, get from being a drug with no market and no real chance of profit to being approved by the US Federal Drug Agency and on track to becoming an affordable treatment to people affected in Africa? Well, it started with someone who was on a mission to reduce the burden of infectious diseases. And it ended with support from another person on the other side of the world who wanted to develop affordable medicines and vaccines for the people who need them the most. These people are John Reader, the director of TDR, which is the Special Program for Research and Training in Tropical Diseases, and Mark Sullivan, founder and managing director of Medicines Development for Global Health. On this episode, you'll find out how John and Mark collaborated to repurpose this drug and what it took to get it through to FDA approval. So moxidectin is uh, now approved to the US FDA for the treatment of onchocerciasis, a river blindness. Onchocerciasis is a, a filarial disease, in other words, a, a disease caused by a worm. The worm is transmitted by a, um, a fly called the black fly that breeds in fast-flowing rivers. So people who live near these fast-flowing rivers in endemic areas, and the endemic areas of onchocerciasis is essentially sub-Saharan Africa. So over 99% of people live in, in this particular part of the world in sub-Saharan Africa. So the fly breeds in this fast-flowing river, needs highly oxygenated water. And then people who live nearby are bitten by the fly. Um, the, the microfilaria or the baby worms are transmitted with that bite into the person and they grow into an adult worm that lives in a nodule under the skin. And the, the nodule is, um, or the, the worm, the adult worm is somewhere in that sort of 10 to 20 centimetre long range. So it's a very large worm. And sometimes it's very deep, so you can't actually feel it from the skin. And then that worm, uh, the female form of that worm, will then give birth to millions of these baby worms called microfilaria. And they immediately go to the skin surface and they move throughout just underneath the skin surface and also transmit through the eyes. And it's the life and death of these microfilaria, these baby worms, that causes the disease. It's actually an immune response to their natural life cycle and their natural turnover in the skin uh, that is causing the disease. So it's a a scarring process essentially caused by the immune system. And they sit there waiting for the next black fly to bite them. 
to bite the person, and then they are taken up at that with that bite and then transmitted to the next person. So that's how it's transmitted. The disease that it causes, it does cause blindness over a very long period of time. Uh, but it, it, you know, the thing that probably is understated is the impact on the person in terms of their the way that they feel. That it's like having a, a constant infection, a um, little bit like flu-like symptoms. And, uh, and the impact on the skin, which causes um, depigmentation, skin damage, a constant itch. It's, uh, it's really quite a, a burden of disease for these people. So that's river blindness. This is a disease of sub-Saharan Africa and is endemic in 31 countries. It is estimated that approximately 20 million people are currently infected, including over a million with vision loss. Over the years, there has been a global campaign to eradicate the disease, and the standard treatment used is ivermectin. You're probably thinking, well, why do we need another drug, a new drug to treat this disease? You know, the ivermectin program is is one of the role models in the world. It's It's been a, an incredible public health intervention, and it's been facilitated by um, the longstanding donation by Merck, who have uh, OMSD, as we would call it, but Merck in the US, who have been donating the drug for 30 years in in literally billions of doses and it's just a it's a fantastic thing that they've done so the drug is an amazing drug in fact so much so that the nobel prize for medicine in 2015 was given to the inventor of that drug uh, so it's incredibly highly regarded and so it should be so ivermectin works extremely well in most people but there are around a third of the people who receive ivermectin with with river blindness or onchocerciasis that either don't suppress their microfilaria in their skin very well or or at all. And there's also um, a characteristic of the profile of treatment where it will clear transiently but then bounce back pretty quickly. So what that means is that for for many people, they, are, they have a quite a lot of the year where they have microfilaria in their skin and they are continuing to transmit and continuing to have the symptoms of the disease. Um, so in areas where it's you know there's less of a burden, that's less of an issue. But in areas of high burden or where there's a lot of the flies biting and transmitting all the times, this becomes an issue. It means that it's incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to eliminate the disease from certain areas with ivermectin alone. And that was the impetus for wanting to... Um, to have moxidectin come in, which doesn't have that characteristic and works in everyone without exception and for a longer period of time than ivermectin. Okay, so roughly speaking, is it fair to say that ivermectin is a highly effective drug for the control of river blindness, but for elimination, or at least in certain areas for elimination, you would need to then introduce moxidectin? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, okay. That was the head of centre, Robin Davies, with Mark Sullivan. What you're about to hear now is the story of the drug moxidectin, the orphan drug which was adopted by TDR. Here is Robin interviewing John at TDR. So how did TDR acquire the rights to moxidectin in the first place? It's a 20-year story and something of, 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 a, of a saga, but in fact, uh, when we were looking, probably going back now, almost 20 years, we knew that this drug was, was held by what was then Wyeth, I think, and again, the, the, the story is very closely entwined with the dynamic movement within the pharmaceutical industry because companies fold or are taken into other companies and change 
and it's a real moving target. So in fact, probably two or three times in the times we've been working with this, the company that owned it has changed and so had to be renegotiated and, and worked. Uh, and so we worked in partnership for some time with Pharma, but then there was a decision made uh, probably around 10 years ago that it wasn't worthwhile Pharma pursuing this and taking it into, into trial. So they decided to to pull out. And at that point, uh, TDR decided it was too valuable to let drop. And so we funded the the, um, the trials in, in the field. We were also able to do this because we have a 40-year history of working in with, with people in countries. And it's extremely complicated. Imagine doing a trial in, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, you know, that, that requires finding people hidden in remote communities and trying to get them. But because we've many years of working in community-based action and working with, with researchers in this area, I think we had a fairly unique ability to, to put together a, a very complex trial uh, and in the end, a very successful trial to show that this drug could work. But that wasn't the end of it. One, while we were still supporting this, getting it made is the second very important part about this. And a point about... I don't know, several years ago now, uh, Pfizer, who held it then, uh, were no longer interested in developing this and were likely to drop it. So uh, TDR took this on as an orphan drug. So we basically uh, put it in our car parking lot. In fact, for some time, I think I was actually the, the, the owner of this, this drug, just as a, a technicality. But clearly, while we would had the trials and we were wanting to complete the trials, and these were completed uh, early last year, published in the Lancet Phase trials, very promising. Then there's a very big step to how do you get that drug to the people who need it. So we had trial results which were really excellent and showed some promise in the way I said for, for the rest. But we had a prototype drug that needed registration. And TDR is not the organization to, to take a drug to registration. You know, it, it requires a very specific set of skills to do that. And, and, you know, this isn't an easy thing to take on. It's not an easy sell. It's a drug with no market, no real chance of profit. And in fact, you know, a potential cost of somewhere in the region of $20 million to take through to the next stage of, of, of FDA approval. But we were really fortunate in our discussions. That's when we started to, to talk to Medicines Development for Global Health and, and, and Mark, uh, which was just starting to, to emerge then. So what was happening around the same time on the other side of the world? How did Mark stumble across this opportunity to push forward moxidectin? Uh, in parallel, we had been looking at the scabies treatment market in Australia to try and work out why so many young Aboriginal children in particular were affected by this disease, which looks to be really quite treatable. So we went and uh, had a look at the various treatment options, what was available and why that might be the case, and pretty quickly worked out that applying a cream in this disease head to foot uh, and then uh, leaving it on overnight treating all of your contacts as well, and for them to leave it on overnight, wash it off the next morning and then repeat one week later is a fairly unrealistic treatment regimen. And we thought that it would be great to see if we could get a longer-acting drug to treat this disease. Uh, and so we knew that ivermectin could treat this disease, but again required two treatments, but it had the advantage of at least being oral. Uh, so we ended up um, looking for a drug that might be suitable, and we contacted the World Health Organization, TDR, and said, Moxidectin looks interesting. Would you be happy to collaborate? At that point, they said, well, in fact, we don't have a pharma partner. 
uh, would you be interested in taking a license? So uh, we went over, did diligence, took about six months to do that. And then we ended up taking the license in the middle of 2014. And from that point, um, went about raising the money that we needed to do the work. And so two guys with two different good deeds in mind found each other to get this drug really going. Here is Robin with John. When you first met Mark, did, did he already, you know, did he come looking for moxidectin or it was a, a more like general exploratory discussion? I think it was more general exp- in exploratory, but, but I, you know, he was aware of, uh, you know, he'd done his homework. He was aware of what we, we had and what we were mm. working with. And we had a couple of things running at that time. One, one was uh, rectal artesunate, which we'd similarly done the trials, mm. but we'd managed to negotiate uh, a relationship with uh, Medicines for Malaria Venture. Uh, funded by Unitaid to take that forward, and that's been very successful again. So, with that in mind, you know, we were thinking of a, a similar model. And Mark offered two things one was a real expertise and expertise in his team, the second was a real commitment that this wasn't about generating profits, but it was about reinvesting in a disease which affects the poorest communities. Uh, and I think, you know, for him, there was a, a third aspect of this that, you know, the potential of this drug could be used for other diseases in, in neglected populations as well, including potentially Indigenous populations in Australia. Such as scabies, yes. for example. Yeah. And at, at that time, when you were having those initial discussions with Mark, were you focused on the priority review voucher opportunity? Look, that was the opportunity because, you know, money needed to be generated uh, uh, and uh, that was, we couldn't take that up and take it forward, but clearly that was the incentive that we were, were going to get somewhere. But up until that point, and, and in fact, up until this point, I think it's been the only time the priority review voucher has been used completely genuinely for the purpose it was designed, which was to take a drug for a neglected population in our market mm. to FDA approval, and then with the expectation of investing any profit from that, both to defray mm. the costs, of course, which are very substantial of registration, but take this on to the next the, the next stage. So, you know, we've been really quite proud to work with them in in showing that this model could work, even though often it yeah. doesn't work. How does one take a drug to the next stage in the approval process? Right through to registration. Mark describes it as an enormous challenge and a huge logistical effort to get it to where it needs to be. Apparently, 4 million pages of data is a good start. Yeah, it's, it's one of the largest logistical efforts that, that exist. Uh, and it's not an overstatement to say that you know there are literally thousands of scientists who are involved in the production of any new drug application. That's what it's called, a new drug application. And so it's not only the coordination of all of the all of those people and their contribution, their particular expertise to a program, but it's also beginning to wrap that up into a pyramid of a building story where all of the raw data sits at the bottom of the pyramid. And then you end up with a pretty simple conclusion across all of that data. And there are things that people perhaps don't consider, such as, and one of the biggest things that trips drug programs up is manufacture, believe it or not. Um, it's probably one of, most, one of the most complex elements of a, of a drug development program. So the, the logistics are that you have to prepare the data to the necessary regulatory standards. So it has to have a certain format. You have to have uh, absolute traceability. It will be audited. Uh, they will go through all of the data 
right down to the raw data. You have to submit all of the raw data for all of your reports as well in a particular format. There are specified formats that it's got to come in. So you do your analysis, but the regulator will repeat those analyses and do whatever they want with the data, and that's their right to do that. So you have to submit all of that information. So there are, uh, in our particular submission, there are nearly 500 separate documents that went in and each each of those could be as short as probably 15 to 20 pages on average they're around a thousand pages thereabouts the biggest one was about uh, 60,000 pages and underlying that is around 4 million pages of data so it's a it's a most enormous undertaking and normally in industry, and again, I've been through this several times, that uh, in industry you'd have probably 50 in-house people working on it um, to get through that process. So not only are you generating the data and responding to it throughout the whole development pathway, but you're also summarising all that information. And then we also have to know where are the gaps, what was done and what was not done in the development program that we inherited, and how would we have done things differently if we had had been driving it ourselves and I can say that you know there were we would have approached things quite differently to the way that the previous organizations had uh, that's just um, very common commonly the case that everyone has their own approach to these sorts of things so we had to had to work with what we had and then we had to adapt and uh, and generate additional information that filled all of those gaps so there was a, a substantial amount of work involved mm. and I have to ask, how, how did you feel when you got the news that the FDA had approved moxidectin? Yeah, I'd just come back from India. In fact, I was um, transitioning up to Sydney through Melbourne Airport and and it was kind of almost like a sense of of relief rather than, you know, running around like an idiot. It really f- was just such a sense of relief that it, we, we knew the drug was absolutely good enough but you just never know until that letter comes in you you really don't so there was uh rather than kind of an outward expression there was very much an inward expression of just um thank goodness thank goodness it's done uh so it was a it was a lovely moment it took quite a long time for it to to genuinely sink in and uh um and i, I think that you know the celebrations. I think still are yet to come. To be frank with you, they they are. It's just such a uh, exhaustion based <laughs> conclusion that you really do feel that you want to move on and just get to the to the next thing once it's done. So uh, it's a it's a funny feeling. It's very strange. It's very hard to describe. Yeah, and I guess it, it's it's not just that you achieved registration of a of a drug. It's that you did so as a small non-profit organization so my understanding is that even even some of the the larger product development partnerships that you referred to earlier at that stage had not achieved registration of any products in in the last couple of decades there's been a couple of instances since that time yes that's right there there's, there are some caveats around that so that the novel medicine getting a um a first registration that had never been done before so we're the first first sponsor in Australia, not-for-profit or otherwise, to ever get a drug registered through the FDA. Some have come close, but no one had actually done it as an Australian sponsor. And then as a not-for-profit, uh, we're the first in history to have done that as a, as a standalone. 
As you can see, it takes an enormous amount of effort and collaboration and teamwork to get this drug to this point. Medicine's development for global health. How unique are they and how did this not-for-profit generate the funding for this? Um, we're in fact unique in the world. So there are other product development partnerships. They are um, also non-profits. Uh, Medicines Malaria Venture, TB Alliance, you know, groups like that are funded by larger external organisations such as Gates Foundation, Medicines Frontier and so on, um, including us. But we've set up the company as an absolutely independent, self-supported organisation. So we are quite different in that we will also, you know, push much further and deeper into development and actually hold the licence through registration and out the other side. Despite doing something for the greater good of public health, unfortunately, these things cost money and money is something that doesn't grow on trees. So, in the world of drug development, companies that focus on neglected tropical diseases can sometimes qualify for what's called a priority review voucher from the FDA. They get this voucher if they gain approval for a drug for a neglected disease, and they can use it to cut the review queue for some product that they want to take to the FDA for approval. However, you can sell these vouchers to anybody for a decent amount of money, the sold voucher can then be used to fast-track any drug. So to repay the debts he incurred in developing moxidectin, Mark sold his voucher. Here's Robin asking the controversial question to John. Now, there is a little controversial question there around how the proceeds from the sale of the voucher have been used. I mean, it's, it's probably unavoidable, but Mark had to raise his finance from yep. somewhere. Yep. And, of course, he raised it from the Global Health Investment Fund. Yep. And, uh, you know, and that, that's a fund that expects high returns. So having sold his voucher, a substantial proportion of the proceeds had to be returned to the fund to support its, uh, its, its profit expectations. How do you feel about that? Uh, you know, it is disappointing in that way. And, and this is not a criticism. I mean, we entered into a business model. I mean, you don't sign up to, to have a loan on a card and saying, you know what, I don't really want to pay you back because mm. my wages have changed. But I have to wonder whether, as it is meant to be uh, a financing for the public good, mm. there might not be a more flexible way of operating this mechanism yeah. to allow the maximum profits or at least a proportion. And for example, um, you know, we've spent at TDR probably in the region of $20 million on this project and we haven't got a dollar back off, mm. off this process, yeah. which is okay. I mean, it's public money and if it goes into the public, public good. But you think mm. if somebody is making you know, $20, $30 million profit off this, mm. perhaps the finances might, might mm. you know, think about how that could be distributed a little bit better. And can you tell me a bit about your, your major funding source, which was the, the Global Health Investment Fund now based in uh, New York City? So we raised the money from the Global Health Investment Fund. It's a, it's a New York-based social investment fund. And by social investment fund, they have to have two outcomes one is social impact in their investment so it has to has to make a difference and in health uh, particularly is their area uh, you can make a difference in lots of areas but uh, for them it's about health and it has to be a, a reasonable investment it has to make an inter a return on that money so this particular fund is um, underwritten by the bill and melinda gates foundation but there's lots of other investors in it um, such as J.P. Morgan Chase and uh, GSK, Pfizer, Merck, you know, the Canadian government, German government, a group of fairly um, significant international uh, investors who really wanted to see could this model work. So uh, we contacted them 
actually on our first trip to Geneva to say to them, look, we're not sure if this is an area that will be of interest to you, but we're going to have a look at this drug. We think it could be very, very um, good for river blindness, but also a number of other diseases. And they said, yes, keep us informed, which we did. And it, it turned out that we we had a, a meeting of minds, uh, a meeting of purpose and a meeting of budget. You know, we needed around 10 million US dollars to tidy up the package that had been done to fill all of the gaps in the data to make it suitable for regulatory submission and uh, and so that's what we raised from them and that's been a, um, a very successful relationship for us that's uh, resulted in us being where we are today. And given that they do operate with an overall requirement for financial returns, were they essentially gambling that you would secure a priority review voucher from the FDA? Yeah, they were. Yeah, no, we we were talking about the the potential double bottom line opportunity that we that I mentioned earlier. That uh, that stuff is just too far away, and to um, you know, there, there is a kind of an equation that's put in drug development depending on what stage you're at. And so, if you are starting at phase two, for example, you're roughly in the only about thirty percent chance of success. If you're starting at phase three, you're roughly around fifty percent chance of success. And if you're at the end of phase three, you're still only at around 80% chance of success. So they'd be applying these calculations to what we're saying. So scabies is, is you know, certainly the beginning of phase two, and therefore they're thinking too risky, too far out. The priority review voucher around, around the river blindness indication uh, was a much more likely outcome, although at the time that we took the investment, there hadn't been, or sorry, the time that we started talking to them, there hadn't been any priority review voucher sales. But by the time we completed and signed the deal, then there had been a few and the value felt pretty pretty uh, assured at that time. So mm-hmm. that's the basis of the investment. So we have covered river blindness, moxidectin and how it came to be. What is next for these two organisations? And does TDI have any ongoing stake in moxidectin? We're supporting it technically, and so not not in a, a legal sense. I mean, we, we've signed over with, with the provisors, with our legal department, for trying to have it non-for-profit. But because we still have work to do on issues of, of paediatric trials, for example, and various other things, we continue to have a person here work quite closely with Mark to link him into our field and into our trial mm. trial sites of this, but it's very much as a as a supportive role because we mm. we we have a common aim, which is making this drug available either free or extremely mm. low cost to the people who need it in the field. And is it the same with possible other indications that you're working with Mark on uh, trials? We aren't specifically working, but I know teams in Australia are, are trying this in in, in other okay. contexts as well. And, and from our point of view, I mean, this is really open, and this is, mm. I think, one of the the positive aspects of, of organisations like TDR. I guess we were one of the first product development partnerships in some ways because mm. you know Moxidectin was developed with public money on the basis of donors, Australia included, in, in in that, which means that we are not trying to gain a profit back, mm. and we try and be open with all access to, to data as it mm. as it goes forward. So we'd just be very happy if other people can pick this up and use yeah. it even further. Mm. Our principal aim was, of course, to address the issue of what do we do next with river blindness, and mm. particularly in difficult-to-reach communities like, like DRC. Yeah. So having achieved registration, then, of course, there's a whole series of questions about manufacture and distribution. So can you say a bit about, I guess, well, what are your responsibilities um, in those areas? 
linked to registration and what are your ambitions? The short answer is that we are the absolute sponsor of the drug. So we are the global license holder of the drug and therefore we're the ones who are going to do all of the necessary steps to, to get it out to people and raise whatever money we need to raise to support that. So um, so we see that as very much our responsibility and, in fact, they're really excited by that. I think that's really it's a fantastic new model, new opportunity that we're looking at. So in terms of the work that we're doing now, we're doing all of the necessary steps to enable the community to, to begin to involve moxidectin in their elimination programs for onchocerciasis. And that involves working with the World Health Organization to deliver for them the data that they need to help make that recommendation for its use. So having a stringent regulatory authority approval, which is what we generally call the FDA approval, it, you know, the, there are a group of uh, um, stringent regulatory authorities around the world. And so having a stringent regulatory authority approval was something we, we certainly considered not negotiable in the process. Uh, so having achieved that, that makes it easier for others to have comfort in the quality of review of the data so far, which means that they're able to focus on how the drug can be used to help eliminate um, this particular disease. In order to do that, we are generating paediatric data. So we're actually starting a paediatric study uh, as we speak. That study is being conducted in Ghana. And uh, and so that's one piece of work that we're doing. We're also looking at paediatric formulations at the same time. Uh, we're conducting a study looking at an annual versus biannual administration of both moxidectin and ivermectin to compare those regimens to see what would lead to faster elimination and, and you know, over a number of years as well. So that's going to be quite a, an important study that's, that we're doing in the Democratic Republic of Congo, again, as we speak. Uh, and there's a third piece, which is a very large kind of observational type of study in around 12,500 people also in DRC, and it's a companion study to the study I just mentioned, where those who are not going to participate in the main trial are, are welcome to join into this study, which is just a very simple safety follow-up type of trial that allows people um, access to the medicine but also generates um, uh, very controlled safety data in a, in a larger population. So all of those are um, studies that we're doing at the moment. And in terms of supporting the, the manufacturer, you know, it costs us money every time we make the drug. Um, it'll cost us money to donate it. So we're looking at both um, philanthropic, self-supported through the double, the double charging arrangement, you know, making money out of wealthy countries to provide to lower uh, income countries. Um, so we're looking at that, um, but we're also looking at potential partnerships um, with other organisations who may be able to help us to have a sustainable delivery model. So those are the things that we're looking at for that. And just quickly on the other disease areas, we're in full development for scabies, our original area of interest. So we have a study that's starting, there's a lot happening as we speak, and this is also happening as we speak in Darwin with three sites in France as well. And uh, and then finally, we have some collaborations on three other disease areas where the drug could be very useful, all worm diseases, one lymphatic filariasis, uh, another one strongyloides, and the final one, the soil transmitted helminths, with our, which are gut infections um, of worms, particularly in low and middle income countries. So we have a large amount of work that we're doing as a, as a substantial body that's funded through our priority review voucher. And we still haven't had 
a handout from anyone and uh, we've been very proud to be quite independent and self-funded uh, and so it continues to be the case. So, so that's where we're at and we are absolutely determined to carry this drug into the field, not personally, but certainly through appropriate NGOs, but to to make it available to to really disrupt this field um, the best in the most positive way we possibly can by um, being very open data sharing, working with the communities, generating the data that, um, to be frank, many other organisations just wouldn't bother with. You know, we see a lot of gaps in paediatric data out there with drugs. Um, we don't think that's right, so we're going to also continue to work on those sorts of things and try and bring better paediatric formulations. So we have a large amount of things to do and we're pretty excited about it. And my last question, I guess, relates to the, the registration process. So you're, you're looking at other uses of moxidectin. Um, yeah. Do you have to do it all again? Let, let's yeah. say that, yeah. Yeah, we do. <laughs> there's no um, there's no shortcut. I mean, there are some shortcuts. So, you know, some of the data won't be reviewed again, but we've certainly got a, you know, there's maintenance of what we already have in there as well. So we are submitting quarterly reports to the FDA. We have uh, some post-marketing commitments that we've made to them. So, again, we're reporting on them. So all of that continues in the background. But, yeah, we have to generate the data to uh, for each new indication. So that's why in, in scabies we're back at phase two, uh, starting with the dose finding. You know, it's kind of uh, it's 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 a exciting time actually to do that type of work. You know, that's a really interesting stage of development of a drug. Uh, but yeah, you don't get uh, too many concessions, I'm afraid. The elimination of river blindness is now a brighter prospect thanks to Mark Sullivan and John Reader. In recognition of this incredible progress for global health. Mark was named 2019 Victorian of the Year and John received internal WHO recognition. On top of his job already, John became the director of WHO's Research for Health Department within the organisation's New Science Division. If you would like us to cover a particular topic or interview a guest that you are interested in hearing from, then let us know by dropping us an email, chs at dfat.gov.au or you can simply tweet us at centrehealthsec.